Thanks, Ian. We have two readings this evening, um, the first from the Gospel of Matthew and the second from the Letter to the Ephesians. It's both in your news sheet and I think it'll be on the overhead. So firstly from Matthew chapter 6, reading verses 5 to 13. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And then from Ephesians chapter 3, reading verses 14 to 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is John Forsyth and I have the great privilege of being the vicar here at St Jude. And once again, can I extend my very warm welcome to you if this is not your first fifth week, but your first first week at our 4pm service. Uh, it's delighted to see new faces and old faces as we gather together. Uh, back in 20, I think it was 18, remember those days before COVID, BC? Uh, I had the privilege of travelling from Melbourne all the way to Darwin, which is a very long way in a plane, let alone in a car. And as I flew, I flew not drive. Uh, I have a photo here that I didn't take, but I wish I had taken. Uh, this is kind of what it looks at, it looked like out the window for most of the journey. Uh, basically, red uh, uh, desert for kilometre after kilometre after kilometre, but occasionally you would have these strips, uh, wavy, curvy strips of small green trees. And of course, the kind of obvious question is, well, why are there all of a sudden these green patches amidst kilometre after kilometre after kilometre of red desert? So much so, in fact, I'd fall asleep and wake up and had no, no idea whether it had been one minute or two hours, still got the same view out the window. 
But what, why is it that we have these green curvy strips in the middle of a desert? And the answer is, of course, water. That's right. I was going to say rivers, but that's probably an ambitious term. Uh, usually creeks or streams. That in the harshest of deserts, we have these beautiful little billabongs uh, and streams and rivers where there is life and abundant life. In other words, trees and plants need water to survive. Now, I, I did an arts degree, so I, you know, I didn't learn that at university, but it's kind of common knowledge, right? Now, in my job as a minister in a church, often I have people come to me and say, I'm feeling spiritually dry. I feel like I'm in a bit of a, a spiritual desert. And often I'll ask questions like this. Well, how have you found church recently? Well, I haven't really, really gone over the past month or two. I said, okay, okay, then well, tell me, tell me about, about how you're going reading God's Word, reading the Bible. Well, I, I haven't really been opening God's Word very much recently. So, okay, well, well then tell me about your prayer life. Well, I do pray, but it's primarily to find a parking spot. That's about it. And I say to them, well, perhaps, just perhaps, you've planted yourself in a desert and you actually have nowhere to draw the beautiful spiritual roots uh, energy from to grow spiritually. See, spiritual life needs to be cultivated the same way plants need to be cultivated. They need to be uh, planted with deep roots into a place where they can draw nutrients and moisture from if they're to thrive. And it's a helpful analogy for us as followers of Jesus. Where are our roots planted? They will determine so much of how we seek to thrive spiritually. Now this is the kind of end of a series looking at uh, a rich spiritual life about where we put our roots in order to grow uh, and Alex has uh, expanded some great points over the last, three, uh, last two weeks and just to kind of refocus our minds, Alex reminded us that spirituality is not something we do to earn God's favour. We don't try to become more spiritual so that God will love us more and care for us more. No, we know that in Christ... We are more loved than we can ever be. In fact, nothing you've done can make God love you less and nothing you can do can make God love you more. That's not spirituality. And spirituality isn't kind of a level you attain within the Christian life as if some Christians are sub-spiritual and other Christians are kind of super-spiritual. No, the great promise of God's word is each and every Christian believer has the Holy Spirit. That means you, if you are a follower of Jesus, have the Holy Spirit, the best spirit there is. You are fully, are fully spiritual. So what are we talking about then when we speak about spirituality? Well, what we're talking about is the intimate work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to make us more like Jesus. The intimate work of God's Spirit in our lives to make us more like Jesus. And just to clarify, when I say make us more like Jesus, not look like Jesus, you don't have to grow a beard, and not die for the sins of the world, we're talking about Christ's character, Christian character, how you live out your Christian life, how you love God and how you love your neighbour as yourself. That, that is what a rich spiritual life is, the intimate work of the Spirit in your life to make you more like Christ. And of course, a really crucial part of this is prayer. 
But I would argue prayer is one of the most deeply spiritual things that we do as Christians. The most deeply spiritual things. But what is interesting, I think, uh, as Helen really helpfully kind of explained, and I I can relate to Helen's uh, reflection, we often find it a bit of a slog. We know we're meant to do it, right? So I could tell you right here, I was told I had 25 minutes. It's it's nice as the vicar being told how long your sermon can be. Um, I'm I'm never never sure how long to go for. Uh, Pray more. And I could sit down. And I'd be right, right? Uh, Praise the Lord, short sermon, right? I'll come back at 4pm next week. It was all done by 4.20 or 4.40. But there's a huge problem and the problem is it actually won't work and in fact it will make you feel worse. You'll feel guilty. Just being told to pray more I don't think is sufficient. I think to help us to develop a rich spiritual prayer life is not that we need to be reminded to pray. That's, if it is, that's a good thing to remember but I think most Christians know that. I think we need to be reminded of three things. We need to be reminded of who we're praying to, uh, you can leave that one on just there for the moment, thanks Samuel, uh, why we pray and what to pray. Who we are praying to, why we pray and what to pray. What I mean by that is we actually need to have our hearts changed to love prayer, not just to be told off for not praying. And I think the most powerful way to do that is to be reminded of who we're praying to because that transforms prayer from kind of dull drudgery to something quite uh, transformative. So let's look at who we're praying to, which kind of asks the big question, well then, who is God? And I've got limited time, and so I'm just going to kind of shorten this whole thing right down. A big question. And there are lots of different ways of seeing God, and the scriptures give us lots of different ways to see God as well. Maybe you see, in your prayer life particularly, God as a judge. Do you see God as a judge? Because God is a judge, by the way. And we read just for one example in many, 1 Peter 4 verse 5. But just remember that all will have to face God who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. And so sometimes it's tempting to come to God as a judge who will judge your life and tell you what you're doing wrong and what you're doing right. He's kind of behind the bench, doling out judgment on your life. Now, God is indeed a judge and will indeed judge the living and the dead, but is that the picture we have of God in prayer when we come to him? Or maybe you see God in prayer as primarily to us the sovereign and divine creator, which he is as well. As you look at this picture, by the way, this is a photograph once again, none of these photos are taken by me. I'm a very amateur photographer. This is the Eagle Nebula. And to say that it is, is large is an understatement. It, it is wider than you've had to walk today from your car, car place to here. Uh, 9.5 light years long from the top to the bottom. Contains millions of stars. So look at that and reflect on that as I read these words from Isaiah 40.25. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? asked the Holy One. Look to the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out one after another, calling each by its name. 
and he counts them to see that none are lost or have strayed away. God is mind-blowingly huge and powerful. And is that our primary way of understanding who he is when we come to pray? And the answer is, well, he is absolutely divine and sovereign. But if we see him just as a judge, we'll approach with fear and trembling. If we see him as the huge and powerful creator God, the reality is I would not want to go to near this God because it's terrifying. Now, God is the judge and God is the creator, but the Bible says something radical. It says that you can approach God boldly in prayer. Not fearfully in prayer, but boldly in prayer. And the question is, well, how on earth is that possible? And it's because of who God is to us. And so I've got a little picture to try and help us sum it up. In this next picture, you'll see a very famous photo of a president I have an affinity with. It's JFK. My initials are JKF. That's the only affinity we share. I don't want to get uh, shot like him. Let's just keep it like that. Uh, But one thing I've learned, I've watched the West Wing enough times to know that you can't just stroll into the President's office. Even now with President Biden, you can't just wander in and say, hey Joe, like a quick chat about a few things. There are rings of security guards and secret service agents and helicopters and all kinds of things designed to keep you out. In other words, you cannot boldly approach the President of the United States. But in this next picture, I think we'll see a complete failure of the security system at the White House. Look what's happened here. Somehow a small child has broken into the White House and unknown to the President is sitting under his desk. What is going on here? How is a little kid able to get in? What's the answer, of course? It's his son. It's his kid. Do you see how we see God in prayer? We see him as our father. Yes, he is the sovereign ruler and creator of all. Yes, he is the judge of the living and the dead. But notice how Jesus starts the prayer he teaches us. Our father. The God who flung those amazing stars into space to make that eagle nebula, he is your father the one who will come to judge the living and the dead of all, is your Father. The primary way we are to relate to God, says the Scriptures, is to understand God as our Father in heaven. You say the word Father and you have the attention of the Creator of the universe. No matter where you are or what you're doing, you say Father and God is there to listen. There's such an implicit intimacy in that word. The pagans are babbling on, says says Jesus, "You you don't need to do that. Father. The great Christian author J.I. Packer writes in his great book, Knowing God, what is a Christian? The richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. That's the richest answer. Not the only, but the richest. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make out of being thought of as God's child and how much they make out of having God as Father. 
The thought of having God as Father must control us as Christians. It must control our worship, control our prayers, control our whole life. If it doesn't control these things, you don't understand Christianity. It's a radical idea, isn't it, when we pray? Not to a distant God, but to your Heavenly Father. Now, I want to note here, just to recognise, not everybody has a good earthly father. I was blessed with a delightful, if somewhat embarrassing, father at times. He still is both those things. Particularly those who know him can attest to that. But that may not be your experience. And sadly, our world is replete with fathers who perhaps are best distant and at worst uh, toxic and even violent. But I don't want to say that that is, that is not our view of fatherhood. Our view of fatherhood comes from God who deeply loves and cares each one of, for each one of his children. See friends, prayer is not just a dull routine. It is speaking with your heavenly Father. He loves you and he cares for you moment by moment, second by second. It's not transactional. It is powerfully relational. It's not just a privilege. Your father delights in listening to you. Can can you see how that, if we start to understand that even just a little bit more, how that unlocks prayer from being drudgery to joy, how it spiritually transforms us, And prayer becomes something alive. A a, a conversation with the true and living God. Not just that, but I call him Father. If that doesn't warm your heart, you've missed the point. God joyfully says, you are my daughter and you are my son. So knowing who you pray to will radically transform your spiritual life. Well, secondly, let's look at why we pray then. What's going on a bit more in this prayer to our Heavenly Father? If we want to develop a rich spiritual life, it's vital to understand this. Now, here's an interesting idea, right? Our Heavenly Father is sovereign. He's all-knowing and all-powerful. Have you ever asked the question, well, why then do we need to pray to him? Because he already knows the answer. Like, he already knows what's going on in our heads. In fact, Matthew 6, 8 says that exact thing. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So what's going on with prayer? Are we wasting God's time and indeed wasting our time? And the answer is no. No. In fact, prayer grows us spiritually. Grows us spiritually. Let me give you three reasons among many. Our Father in heaven wants us to pray Because prayer is an expression of our trust and love of him as Father and prayer is an expression of our means and desire to grow in that trust and love of him as Father. You look at Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, picking up from the second half of verse 17. See what Paul prays here. He says, I pray for you being rooted and established in love. So you you, you already know the love of Christ. It's rooted in a savage. In other words, they're the roots of the trees that are going down. Permanent. That's the foundation. 
may have power together with all the saints, that includes us by the way, we're the saints, you're a saint, good news, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In other words, you're rooted in Christ's love and you may be filled by that. You may grow in your spiritual love, how to love God and to love each other. That's what Paul's prayer is. And secondly, our Heavenly Father wants us to pray because it brings us into a deeper expression of our fellowship with him. Now, I've got three kids and we have, we have cute kids here at, at uh, Carlton 4pm and anyone who knows me know that I will ignore you if there's a small or cute child in the room. It's not personal, it's just that you're not small and cute. Okay? And one of the beautiful things about our little kids, is whether yours or somebody else's that you've borrowed for a little while, is their first word, teaching them to speak. Now, why do we teach them to speak? Why is it such a precious thing? Is it so you can have a discussion on 17th century French philosophy? Let's talk about Descartes. Well, it might be at some point down the road, but really because it's an expression of relationship and love. It's about building relationship. And it's, isn't that funny? What, it, what are kids usually, although I taught one kid's first name to be Dolt, first word to be Dolt from Homer Simpson, but generally speaking, if they're not you know, distracted, it's mama or dada. Isn't that interesting? The very first word that kids learn in every language, in different cultures, will be the word for their parents and the word for their family. In other words, it's an expression of relationship. That's the beauty of prayer. It's us saying, Dada, literally, Abba. That's what the word means, Father. And thirdly, God wants us to pray because in prayer, God allows us as mere creatures to be involved in the beautiful work and the internally important work of building his kingdom. God invites us to be part of that extraordinary grand plan to build his kingdom. It's a bit like a three-year-old being asked to help make a cake. I'm not sure if you've seen or observed or got part of a small child helping make a cake. If you're, perhaps if you're a grandparent you do this kind of thing or if you've got little kids in your life, or some friends, uh, what I've discovered is the three-year-olds don't really do a lot to help. They'll crack the whole egg in, and they put their dirty little fingers in, and it's primarily about licking the bowl at the end, let's be honest. But yet there is such pride on their face when the half-mangled cake emerges from the oven. Look what I made! (laughs) That's us when we do God's work. He graciously invites us to have our messy little kid fingers in building his his kingdom. And in each of these things we are transformed to be more and more like Jesus. Notice there in verses 16 and 17, Paul prays that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That little phrase there, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's not just a nice sentiment. It is a nice phrase, but it's not just a nice sentiment. It's an expression that we are unified with Christ. Part of Paul's great doctrine. We are unified with Christ. 
which has first and foremost the fact that, that Christ's effort and work on the cross and his resurrection becomes ours because we are united with Christ in his death and united with Christ in his resurrection. We are saved people. But secondly, and very importantly, because he is in our heart, he is transforming our hearts to be more like him. So it's salvation and transformation to have Christ dwell in your heart. In other words, prayer is an expression of our deep dependence on God and a dependence that transforms us and changes us to be more like the Lord Jesus. That's why we pray. Well, practically then, well, well, what do we pray? How should we pray, thirdly? How do we pray in a way that grows us spiritually? And the first answer is quite simple. We pray Jesus' priorities first. We pray Jesus' priorities first. We are not Jesus' customers. We are Jesus' disciples, his followers. Notice Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. When we pray, your kingdom come, which is about Jesus establishing his kingdom, I think we're praying at least three things. We're praying that Jesus might reign over all people, that all may come and see that the Lord is king. We are asking God to rule over our own hearts and our own lives and the way we treat people in our character and our love of others. And we're actually praying that he'll return where every knee will bow and every tongue confess his Lord. And that is too where to pray that his will will be done on earth as in heaven. We're to pray that our own will will come and be transformed and conformed to his will. Because when we usually pray, what we do is we say this, God, please align your will to my will. My will be done on earth and in heaven. In fact, everywhere would be great, Lord, if you could, if you could manage that. Now, I've got a friend uh, called Justin who is a minister and he's also the worst driver I know. And I know this because I've been in the passenger seat with him on more than one occasion. Let me say, being in the passenger seat with Justin is very good for your prayer life. You're you're about to meet Jesus, so let's start praying at this point in time. Uh, And the reason is, uh, Justin is, in his own words, uh, intentionally relational. He's far more interested in you than the road. Now, normally that would be great, except when he's driving because it means he will spend most of his time looking at you and not the road. The second problem with Justin, whom I love, is that he's a hand talker. He talks with his hands and it's very, you know, this kind of thing. Once again, great, except when you're driving. So when I'm with Justin, both hands are off the wheel, both eyes are off the road and the focus is on you. When we pray, your will be done, what we are doing is taking our hands off the steering wheel and saying, God, Father, your will be done. And that is a scary proposition, isn't it? What we like to do, mostly as as Christians, is to pray with one hand on the wheel. Lord, I'm pretty sure I know where I'm going. Could you just help me on the tricky bits, right? That's Occasionally your will be done. But God is saying, no, no, your heavenly Father knows what's best. Your will be done. 
Uh, Martin Luther said, by the way, this prayer should frighten us. It should frighten us because it recognises that we are not in the driving seats of our life. In fact, when we pray, you will be done, what we are actually praying here is the reversal of sin. Sin says, my will be done. My wisdom against yours. Your will be done says, no, that is sinful. I will follow you instead. And so to have a rich spiritual life, firstly, we must pray Jesus' priorities. Um, Secondly, though, we can pray to bring our needs to our Heavenly Father, both physical needs and spiritual needs. We're encouraged to. Give us this day our daily bread, says Jesus. That's what the words we're to pray. Now, there is no more basic need than bread. It's the staple of life. And my staff can can attest that I take these words very seriously for lunch each day. But but the idea here that Jesus is teaching is not not just uh, bread, but it's a symbol of all of our needs all the things that we need to sustain us. In other words, it's about recognising that our Heavenly Father is a provider, a provider of all good things. And so in your prayers, look to your Heavenly Father for every need. He is interested in your work. He is interested in your struggle to find a job. He cares about your studies if you're studying. He cares about your studies if you should be studying. He cares about the health of your business. He cares about your marriage. He cares about your children if you have them, if you, if you have relationships. He cares about your parents if you're looking after them. He cares about the people you're responsible in your, in your job and position. He even cares about your boss. He even cares about your church and your vicar. Bring them before him in prayer. And we don't just bring our physical needs to our Heavenly Father, we are to bring our spiritual ones as well. Forgiveness of sins. It's overt there in the Lord's Prayer. The forbearance to love people who are sometimes difficult to love. That, that, that prayer that something deep in your heart would change, a, a particular sin you're wrestling with or a particular character you're seeking to grow in. Patience, love, self-control, the fruits of the Spirit. They're great things to pray for. In other words, your prayer life is to make you more and more and more like Jesus. See, brothers and sisters, my hope is that you'll realise what a huge privilege it is to pray to God. Not a duty, but a privilege. A simple yet profound privilege which really amazingly little kids find easy and adults struggle with. Because prayer includes moments of ecstasy and dullness, mindless distraction and acute concentration, flashes of joy and bouts of irritation. In other words, prayer has... It features the same as all other relationships that matter. And at the heart of it, what we have in prayer is a wonderful ongoing reminder that your Heavenly Father wants an ongoing relationship with you. The Christian faith is not just some limited pie in the sky when you die. Yes, your salvation is secured, 
But it's so much more. Your heavenly father wants a relationship with you. Wants to grow and nurture you as his precious child. And so he communicates with us and we speak to him in prayer. Prayer is foundational to your spiritual health. And it powerfully points to that day we will speak with the Heavenly Father, not just in prayer, but face to face in glory. In a moment we're going to stand and sing that we may be people of prayer. But before we do, let me lead us in a prayer. I pray that being rooted and established in the love of Christ, we may have the power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.